As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Oh my god, you guys. Like, hey. Hey, guys. This is a heavy one, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think we just need, like, you guys to know that. They always are heavy, but this one in particular is... Has a couple layers, right? It's got layers, yes. And I, if you've listened before, you'll know this is not my favorite kind of case because it is unsolved. Yeah. And you know what I like to try to remind Tori of when she feels that way? Mm. You know, grow it's not up. about me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll take both of those <laughs> yeah. into consideration. Perfect. Thank you. But I do want to point out that you're not my real mom and you never will be. Well, so. that's simply not true. But <laughs> All right. So before we get into the case... As always, please do remember, we have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. And we got lots of exciting stuff going on over there. Oh, yeah. By this point, we'll be balls deep in discussing uh, Belinda Blinked on our Patreon hangout group. Yes. See I, what I did I, there? Yeah, and I think that that was incredibly appropriate now that you It was. It felt not appropriate, sentence. and then it went into exactly appropriate, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah. So that's um, that's the show my dad wrote a porno. Super, super funny. We did a live in that Facebook group and it's for patrons $10 and up the other day. And we quoted that or started talking about that. I don't remember how it happened, but then like we got people talking about it and we're like, you know what? Let's just like, let's just do it. So come hang out with us, you know, come, come hang. It's a book club, if you will. Exactly. Yep. About a porno. So a porno book club. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, we got bonus episodes over there. You could get three episodes a week. Mm-hmm. So it's two extra ones a week. So eight extra ones a month. I mean, come on. Plus ad free. Yes, Everything's ad free. Mm-hmm. You know, shut your mouth. Whoa. That's what I say. Oh. But like in a good way, like, oh, shut your mouth. You know what I mean? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then... We haven't said this in a while, but if you guys want to get a free sticker, 
you can leave us a review, email the screenshot to killerqueenspodcast at gmail.com with your address, please. And we will mail that bitch out. And we're not telling you what kind of review to leave. Say whatever you want to say. (laughs) Put however many stars you want to put. I will say that one is bad and five is good. We did get a really good review that was a low star and we've gotten bad reviews that were high stars. I think people got them confused. So just letting you know what the scale is. Exactly. Just do with that what you will. But if you want a sticker, for sure. There you go. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah, I think we should. So we wanted to start this off by saying thank you to Mary Elizabeth and Lindsay Stacy for requesting this. And thank you to Sloan for writing the script. Hey, and we do have a couple trigger warnings, national tragedy, 9-11, alcoholism, possible adultery. It's unsolved. So we've already triggered Tori, as we know. Yes. And maybe some like LGBTQ plus situations. Yes. There's brief mentions of those things. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's good. Let's go ahead and get into it. Okay. Let's roll think, that beautiful bean footage. I think that's all the all the biz. All right. So the only thing that I can think of when I was like reading through the script and researching the case was um, Alan Jackson. Oh, Where God. were you in the world? Stop turning. That's it gets too September low for me. Day. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man, that was rough. Yeah. yeah thanks for taking it for me. Yep. But this case is centered around in a in a very large way, September 11, 2001. Oh my gosh, you remember what I remember? What? Directly after that, every day on the school bus, because I was in the eighth, mm, seventh grade. Mm. Eighth grade, I was in the eighth grade. When yeah, I was in the 10th grade, so. Eighth grade, I remember it vividly. I was in band. I took band because I didn't want to go to gym class, so I was in <laughs> band when it happened. And the TVs were on and we were all like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really get what's, what's happening. Yeah. I don't get why everybody's crying. I was just not, in a place to understand the significance of it. Yeah. But I do remember every day on the school bus after that for probably still doing it. And I'm proud to be oh an my gosh. where at least I know I'm free. I appreciate the words in the song. I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a proud American. Sure. Hate that song. Hate it so much. How do you feel about Toby Keith talking about putting a boot in your ass? I got to tell you, I got down to that one. <laughs> I did. <laughs> It, it was good. At it the was time. a bop in 2001 <laughs> or 2002. Like, oh. oh my gosh. His vibrato is American girl. Yes. That's, yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, they definitely have played that like in the bar <laughs> when I used to go to the bar. And, you know, sure. you got your, you got your beer and you're just like yeah. sloshing it around, like, yeah, cheersing and high fiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put a boot in your ass. Woohoo. Boots up your ass. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I wonder if we have listeners who don't remember 9-11. I bet we do. I bet we do, too. It is it is really insane to me because that was the day that it literally changed the world. Yeah. Forever. Like, because also something that's going to be brought up in this a little bit later is, you know, did she leave on her own and stuff like that? Like after 9-11, like I feel like before 9-11, it was a lot easier to you know, get on a plane under a fake name, maybe, or, you know, like, yeah, not now. Mm -mm. And I wonder, I mean, I'm sure they had some big laws and stuff, but I remember vividly going to pick mom up from the airport Mm -hmm. and just walking back to the 
like where you board to the gate. Yeah. 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 You could just go in. Yeah. I remember that night we, we waited on her and it was so quiet and I was eating the loudest chips in the world. <laughs> yes. It was just <laughs> crinkling like for like, it took me like, <laughs> yeah, three minutes to get this bag of chips open. It was really hard. I don't know it why. Was hilarious. But yeah, we were definitely at the gate waiting for her. So yeah, I mean, life changed absolutely dramatically. I cannot imagine how life changed for anybody who was like of the Muslim faith or anything yeah. like that. I mean, it's horrific. And at that time, like, you know, we were, we were pretty young. I didn't get it. I remember that I was in French class and they, you know, everybody started turning the news on. And this girl that was in my class kept going, America's under attack. America's under attack. And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? No, it's yeah, not. What does that mean? It's America. Like nobody can hurt us. I just, you know, I just yeah. had lived in this bubble of like safety and security. I will say that my band teacher, I can't remember his name. It doesn't really matter, I guess. But I don't know how people teach kids in the seventh and eighth grade, probably sixth grade too. Let's lump in ninth grade because we were obnoxious. We just did not understand. We were like, but do we get to go home? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't care. Can we leave early? Like, because yeah. we just didn't get it. And we mm-hmm. were just such little shits about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely didn't understand. I was like, when you're young, you just don't understand it. And I think it, you know, it obviously takes a really long time to understand. But then like, you know, as we got older, I was in the 10th grade when it happened. Then I've got, you know, guys that I went to high school with joining the army as soon as we graduate high school and several of them did not come back. And it's just like, you know, everybody was in the army. Everybody was deployed all the time. Yeah. It, even though it felt, we felt very removed from it, eventually it touched everybody, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, when you're little, you just, yeah, you just don't get it. But basically if you are, if you are a youngin and you do not remember 9-11 or you were born after it happened. Yeah. We will, you know, lay that out for you here. So essentially, not essentially, exactly. 19 terrorists executed their plans to hijack American airplanes with the intent to crash them into the two tallest World Trade Center buildings, the Pentagon and the White House. Now, they did not get to crash it into the White House, but that was the plan. Mm -hmm. At 8.46 a.m., American Flight 11 slammed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center between floors 93 and 99, immediately killing the people on the plane and some people in the building, but trapping hundreds more. 17 minutes later, and I mean, and that's the thing. It's like you're you're watching the news and they're showing the tower, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just been crashed into. And then the second plane crap, nobody was expecting that. I mean, no, you know, nobody on the ground. From there. Oh, it's just so crazy. But it was 17 minutes later. At 9.03, that United Flight 175 hit the South Tower. This was between floors 77 and 85. So again, everybody on the plane was immediately killed. And the people in the, you know, many people in the building. And now many, many more are trapped. At 9.37 a.m., American Flight 77 crashed into the west wall of the Pentagon in Virginia, killing 184 people. Then at 9.58 a.m., the South Tower collapsed, covering Manhattan in dust and debris in about 10 seconds. And again, all of this was, I don't, it was just like my adult self thinking about watching this and living this, like 
you know, watching it on TV when I was young and having no fucking idea what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And just the, I don't know, I'm just like a mind blown emoji. It's, it's so sad. It is so sad. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so while this is happening, passengers of United Flight 93 were fighting back against their hijackers who were headed for the White House. This plane went down at 10.03 a.m. in a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. This killed all 39 people on board and the terrorists. Absolute fucking heroes, these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, finally at 10.28 a.m., the North Tower collapsed as well. So four planes hijacked by 19 terrorists and it changed America forever. And as of 2020, we are still working to identify many of the 22,000 remains from the wreckage. As of 2019, only about 1,645 victims have been accurately identified through either DNA or belongings. And that's only 60% of the victims. So the other 40% of the victims and their families are still in limbo, waiting for someone to call and say, hey, we found something. This definitively proves that your loved one was killed in the attacks on 9-11. Like, there's just so many things I can't understand, like, can't imagine, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I think they were there, but we don't know. Oh, it's just so sad. It is so sad. And again, this, like, this case is just so heavy because it's, we're telling the story of one particular person who went missing and may have died in this event. But... And not diminishing in any way, shape, or form the importance of the Philip family, you know? But you back up a little bit and just how big this event was and how many people are involved. Like, it's just a bigger story, you know? It's like you can't tell her story without talking about the 9-11 story and thinking about all of those families and victims involved. Right. Yeah, I think it's one of those things like cinematography or cinema. How would you say that? (laughs) Sound it out. If this was a movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And you're focused on one person, right? And it's like this terrible tragedy that happens. And then you zoom out and you're like, oh my God, it's 22,000 people who, you know, like. Right. It's, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's so much. One of those families that has been battling to have their loved one included. Nope, I fucked that up. One of those families has been battling to have their loved one included because to them, it's better than the alternative, than where their daughter, wife, sister has disappeared or had some other unknown ending. And it can't like, 
just how awful for that, you know, that to be the better alternative. But mm-hmm. humans, man, humans get a human and they're the worst. Yeah. 32-year-old Sneha Ann Phillip is currently listed as the 2,750th victim of the attacks, but she was last seen on September 10th, and investigations would reveal a darker side to her life, creating, honestly, and Tori, this, I'm so, my thoughts and prayers go out to you. It just creates more questions than answers. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So let's get into who Sneha Ann Phillip was. Sneha and Philip was born on October 7th, 1969 in the province of Kerala in southern India. She is the only girl born to Ansu and Dr. Kokiel Philip and grew up in Albany after her family moved to the United States. Like her father, Sneha decided to become a doctor. She went to Johns Hopkins first and after graduating from there in 1991, she attended Chicago Medical School. This is where she met Ron Lieberman in 1995. Ron was from Los Angeles and grew up in a Jewish family. Ron was one year behind Sneha in medical school, so Sneha decided that she would take a year off and travel around Italy, and this allowed them to both graduate in 1999. I mean, that's a hell of a plan. Yeah, it is. I would take that and run with it. Yeah. I think it's better if we graduate actually at the same time, so I'm going to need to go to Italy for a year. Yeah, exactly. And again, I understand the magnitude and gravity of the attack on 9-11 in 2001, but 1999, what a time to be alive, you know? Oh my gosh. Like an adult. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. They moved to New York and got a one-bedroom apartment on East 19th Street, just an hour from her parents and close to the jazz clubs and sushi restaurants they both love to frequent. In May of 2000, the couple married in a Jewish Indian ceremony with 250 guests at an inn in Dutchess County. At some point, they moved to their apartment at 225 Rector Place in Battery Park in New York City, which was just a few blocks from the World Trade Center. On September 10th, 2001, Ron was a third-year resident at the emergency department at Jacoby Medical Center, and Sneha was a third-year resident in internal medicine at St. Vincent's Medical Center, which is now Richmond University Medical Center, and that's on Staten Island. Sneha was off on that Monday. She had an appointment in the morning and had plans to run errands and get things done on this rare day off without work. So around 11 a.m. on the 10th, Ron kissed her goodbye and headed out to work. Sneha did some things around the apartment, and around 2 p.m., she started a conversation with her mom on Instant Messenger. Oh, Instant Messenger. I know. They messaged back and forth for over two hours talking about the fun time she and Ron had at the bar on Sunday night, among other things. And around 4 p.m., Sneha signed off with her mom and prepared to run her errands. The security footage from the lobby of the apartment building showed her leaving at 5.15 p.m. After dropping off some dry cleaning, Sneha went to one of her favorite discount stores, Century 21, and did some shopping, which I just heard that or I don't know, it hasn't just happened, but Century 21 is no longer a thing anymore. They all went bankrupt and closed their doors. Really? That's what I heard. She spent $550 on Ron's American Express card and bought lingerie, a dress, pantyhose, some linens, and three pairs of shoes. Okay. I was for a little bit, like just a minute, gonna not judge her for spending $550 at a discount store, but I was just kind of like, how did you, how do you do that? But like the other day I went in for one thing at Marshall's and nobody told my husband this, but I spent like $230. So I feel like if I had just had a little more time in there, you know, (laughs) 
And I just because it's a discount store doesn't necessarily mean that it's that discounted. I mean, Terrell and you and I went one time we went to Florida and we went to those like outlet malls, like an outlet mall. And we were like, where are the discounts? <laughs> Remember? Yeah, I was like, what? Because I thought an outlet mall was discounts. But it's not. But it's not. But I'm just saying like, yeah, it could be discounted from like maybe one thing was $550 and now it's $225. Yeah, totally. Century 21 was just blocks from their apartment and right down the street from the World Trade Center. But when Sneha walked out of the Century 21 shoe annex, she seemingly disappeared. Sneha didn't return to their apartment that night. When Ron got home around midnight and his wife wasn't home, he wasn't terribly concerned. Sneha often went out to the bars and ended up going to other people's houses and sleeping it off there. She also occasionally spent the night at her brother's or her cousin's apartment when Ron was worked late as they lived nearby. She still wasn't home when he woke up, and Ron was annoyed that she hadn't called or left any messages, but he went for, to work for a meeting thinking she'd be back that night. Ron's meeting started at 8 a.m. and ended around 9 a.m. When he left the meeting, he found his colleagues around the TV. Okay. So now we're, I mean, we're at 9-11 because mm-hmm. it was that morning he had a meeting that day, but now we're going to be in that time period now of the attacks. So as we know, the first plane hit the North Tower at 8.46 a.m., just two blocks from Ron and Sneha's apartment. That's crazy, just to be that close to it. Ron had still not heard from Sneha. He was calling her repeatedly now with no answer. I read somewhere that she did not have a cell phone. I did too. And I read that he was calling the the apartment. I heard that he was calling the apartment and he was calling like friends and her family trying yeah. to track her down. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, he's calling her family, he's calling around, but nobody had seen or heard from her. And this is a huge, I mean, he obviously he's freaking out. You'd be freaking out anyway, even if he had spoken to her that morning, just because of how close they are. Mm-hmm. But... I think in his mind, just because of how things normally go, he's like, oh, she probably stayed with, you know, a friend. She probably stayed with her brother or whoever, you know, like slept at a family member's house, but they didn't see her. Plus, this tragedy has happened. I mean, it's just got to be insane. Horrific, right? Yeah. yeah. So using the benefits of being a staff member at the hospital, Ron caught a ride with an ambulance and he's trying to get back to his apartment and his apartment's not far from here, right? So bingo bongo, we should be there. But because of the mad rush of people, both civilians and first responders headed toward the buildings and then others desperately trying to evacuate, this ambulance ride took over six hours and they were only able to get him as far as Tribeca, which I'm not totally sure where that is. I've heard of it, but it was not all the way to Battery Park. So he still had to go further after he traveled six hours. I mean, and of course, this area is already cordoned off by police, but Ron was in a scrub still because he'd been at the hospital for a meeting. He talked the officers into letting him through. And by this time, so six hours later, we know that both buildings have already collapsed. The search for survivors and remains was in full swing. You know, there's all these people there. There's all this stuff going on. But he gets to his apartment complex and the electricity is out, of course. But that dicked him over as far as getting into his apartment because they had like automatic locks. They had to have electricity to get in and out. So he was stuck. He couldn't get in and see, Mm -hmm. is she there or is there any sign of her there? 
So he's kind of just running around the building yelling her name. And he finally got an answer from one of their neighbors. And he asked the neighbor to go to his apartment and knock to see if she would come to the door. And the neighbor went and knocked and said, nope, no answer, which I also felt like was incredible that he even got the attention of a neighbor. Like, I know. can you imagine, though, like just from the neighbor's perspective, they're completely stuck inside. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, the whole it, it has to be this just like, what world am I living in now? It, yeah. it has to just feel like an absolute nightmare. Well, yeah. And that's just a small part of it because think of all the people in the world, you know, like, I mean, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it's just like, when you really like look back into things, I don't know, just how, I mean, we were just so removed from it. You know, we lived way out in the country and it's just unfathomable. Mm -hmm. I just, oh my gosh. So he can't stay at his apartment that night. He can't get in. Electricity is out. So he stays at a friend's house for the night. And in the morning, he was able to get into the apartment. So he goes inside and what he finds is distressing. They had left a window open. So the inside of their apartment was completely covered in ash, dust, and debris from the building collapse. And this is two blocks away. Mm -hmm. It just like puts that into perspective how how much damage can be done when a building like like you know you go into the city and you look at all these buildings and you're like wow whoa that's super tall I'm like oh you don't think about like the absolute decimation that would happen if anything happened structurally to that building right like it's just insane and also terrifying yeah I don't like going into tall buildings I don't like to stay on like if if I'm stopped on a bridge Oof, no, I don't like that at all. Yeah. yeah. So they had two cats. I'm not sure how to say their names, Figa and Callie. Yeah, or Collie, maybe. Collie had been walking around. And so he could see their little paw prints in the dust, right? But he doesn't see Sneha's footprints. He doesn't see an adults at all. He also doesn't find her Century 21 bags. And we know she spent $550. So she might have one bag, two bags, or I don't know. We don't yeah. know how many bags she had. <laughs> but you know, I think there would at least be a couple bags. There was a bed linens and stuff. So well, and she had three pairs of shoes. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be a few bags and they're not there. So that's pretty concerning. Her driver's license was there though. Her passport, her credit cards, except the one that she had used the day before. Her glasses, she'd been wearing contacts. All of this is still at the apartment. You know, you're you're starting to look at things that like, if somebody's going somewhere, they would have taken with them, mm-hmm. you would think. Yeah. So Ron reports Sneha missing, but there's also thousands of missing people being reported in New York that day, too. It's just so upsetting. Mm-hmm. Over 9,000 people were originally reported missing on September 11th. Some of them were quickly closed when family members called and, you know, said, hey, my loved one showed up. They called me, like, whatever, because... You know, all this is happening. So many people are calling to find out, are you okay? All the phone, like phones are going straight to voicemail. You can't get in touch with anybody if you tried. Mm -hmm. So plenty of people are okay. They just can't tell anybody they're okay. Right. And they're stuck because everything's blocked off and all that kind of stuff. So as those lines started opening up, people would say, you know what? This person called me. They're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or in grand human tradition, of course, 
some of them were fraudulent. People were making shit up, calling and, and reporting people missing that weren't actually missing. What is wrong with people? They'll never understand it. Just like, so, like, why would you ever call uh, seeing the absolute horror that has unfolded that people are going through, you know, mm-hmm. people actually missing, people dying in these buildings and on these flights and all these things. And you're going to call and be like, yeah, my brother's missing. You know, but like, that's not a funny joke. That's horrible. No, it's never funny. Yeah. It's you're wasting precious resources. Like, it's just I don't get people. They're just fucking garbage. When Ron attempted to get any media attention for Sneha, he was turned away because once they found out that she was last seen on the 10th, they basically didn't want anything to do with it because their their main focus is talking about people who have gone missing in the attack. Mm -hmm. And if she went missing on the 10th, technically, then she's not part of the attack and we're not going to have anything to do with it because apparently all missing people are not equally important. Right, exactly. Like, I think that their thought was we have bigger fish to fry and it wouldn't have been as sensational or... Right. Salacious is not the right word, but they wouldn't... It wouldn't have made it for such a, a good story. Exactly. It needs to be a good story. And if it's somebody who was just last seen on the 10th and having nothing to do with the attack, you know, and it, that's what makes me so sick about shit like this too is... We do need information put out to the public, you know, obviously, like we needed information about this, but there are people, you know, in newsrooms or whatever that are like, this is gold. Mm-hmm. This is people's lives. Yeah. They don't think about people as being people. They think about just, oh God, this is the best story that I could put out today. Yeah. Not sweep, sweep. Yeah, like, exactly. Just ratings and whatever, like... It's friggin' terrible. Mm-hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Ron calls Sneha's brother, John, and he's like, look, I've already contacted reporters. They will not listen to me. I have an idea. You call them and just don't mention that it was the 10th that we last heard from her. You know, maybe just be like, hey, she's missing and just leave out, leave out the date that she went missing. But Torella, what, what did John do instead? Well. Here's the thing. What you need to remember, Tori, is that there are times that, like, you're going to get an opportunity to give the best performance of your life. Mm -hmm. And so you shouldn't have to pass that up. That's true. It's the acting gig of a lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. So John was like, got it. Love it totally understand what you're, what you're saying to me. Um, you know, he's like, you know, that episode of it's always sunny when they're meeting the lawyer and the lawyer's like, (laughs) you know, okay. So like blah, 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 blah. And they're like, okay. So you're, I can't remember what it was. Like it's something like he'll kill his wife or something. Yeah. Was that what it was? Well, I remember there was at one point with the gang goes jihad, which is actually it has to do with, like, in that episode, I think it happened in or around, like, around when 9-11 happened. Like, they're they're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're like, those people burnt up in that terrible, terrible fire. Like, you know, there's references to it, but they go to the lawyer and they talk about how the guy's trying to take away their bar. And they're like, what can we do? And he was like, unfortunately, there's no legal action you can take. And they were like, oh, uh-huh, yeah. no uh-huh. legal yeah. action. And he's like, no, do not. Don't do anything that is illegal. (laughs) That is not what I'm telling you to do. And they're they're like, like, we hear you loud and clear. No legal legal action. action. I get it. You can't. There's some stuff you can't say in here. It's probably, you know, the recordings. But we, yeah, we understand between the lines. Yeah. We got this. Yes. So that's what John said. He was like, okay, okay. Don't tell them about the 10th. I got it. (laughs) So he calls the reporters and he's like, hey, girl, listen, Um, my sister Sneha went missing. In fact, and I I have to tell you this, I was talking to her on the morning of the 11th. Okay. And she was helping people from the World Trade Center. And and I was on the phone with her and she told me she couldn't leave because these people were hurt. And she said, I have to help this person. And that's the last thing I ever heard from her. So you have to get her story out. She literally was saving lives at Ground Zero. It's literally such a lie. Like that didn't happen. It's a beautiful no, story. It, it would is. be great if it did. Mm-hmm. And maybe, maybe it did. Maybe she did that. go, but we don't know that exactly. This story of him talking to her when it happened did not happen. That didn't so happen. Ron is probably like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, right. I just said, leave out the 10th maybe because I want her disappearance to be just as important as other people who have gone missing. He had to have just been like, dude. Yeah. 
It makes you wonder though, because it definitely got media attention. Like, yeah, it turned into Sneha's story as a heroic tale, right? Yeah. Like, you got to think though, maybe they didn't give details, that many details or something. But what if you were the person who took the first call from Ron and you were like, wait a second. Hmm. She went missing the 10th. Yeah. Yeah. Did he think nobody was going to, I don't know. It's weird. I think he called him. He he told his story and he got off the phone and he said, nailed it. I did exactly mm-hmm. what Ron asked for me to do. He's going to be so proud of me. He's going to be so proud of me. And of course, he has to later admit that this is completely fabricated. This never happened. Well, and they were in a fight. Yeah, for- they actually hadn't spoken in a few weeks at this point. Mm-hmm. But... When you put something like that out there and it does gain a lot of traction because it is such a, you know, like a story and it's, you know, it's going to get people's attention and all that kind of stuff. It's out there. Mm -hmm. You can't like, what is it? Put the worms back in the can. (laughs) Like, you know, you can later be like, okay, that wasn't true. But now that that many people know about it, it's everywhere. So, oh my gosh, it's like Ray, Ray Stevens. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. <laughs> it is. It's totally raised even. Oh my God. I forgot about that. I haven't said that in a long time. I know. So Sneha's hero narrative was further encouraged when the security camera footage from their apartment building was found. At 8.43 a.m. on September 11th, a woman comes into the lobby. She appears to be waiting for the elevator for a few minutes, and then she abruptly turns around and leaves. So remember, the first plane struck at 8.46 a.m., and that's just two blocks away. You know this person heard the commotion. Mm -hmm. Well, how could you not? Exactly. So it would make perfect sense that this person who is waiting on the elevator hears what has happened turns around and goes out to see what's going on and either goes towards it or, you know, maybe they ran away. Like, I don't know, but they go out to see what's going on. The only thing is the woman in the footage can't be positively identified as Sneha because there was sunlight washing out most of the picture. Like, seriously? It's just so frustrating. And it's like really bad glare from the sun. And like our one thread of hope. I know. Identifying. Mm-hmm. It's so it's mostly just a silhouetted woman. She ha- she did have a haircut like Sneha. She was wearing a dress like the one that she'd last been seen wearing. She even walked like her. But again, you just can't see her clearly enough to say for sure. Well, and there's it, no bags. I, there's no bags. But I do think that if you get a little glimmer of hope like that, your brain sometimes yep, you lets you see what you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. That is a very good point. Yeah. So I'm sure that anybody close to Sneha would be like, yep, that's definitely her. And I mean, they do. The family does believe this was her. Although, like, what are the odds? Right. You know, like, I don't know where she would have put the bags, but being a medical professional, it would make total sense that she's waiting on an elevator because she happened to be off that day too, I guess, or maybe just working later. You know, it would make sense that she'd hear what's going on. She'd go out to see. And because she's got medical training extensively, she's already in her second, third year of her residency, that she'd go and help people. She'd try Mm -hmm. to, you know, offer her services. Police didn't seem to push off Sneha's case and, in fact, seemed to almost accept the narrative that she was at ground zero. And I don't know if that's just like 
okay, fine, let's just add another one to that so we don't have to do a full investigation. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything negative about them, but they were really receptive to that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But then they started investigating and Ron hired a PI and there would be some questionable information revealed through those investigations and would create some differing theories. So let's talk about theory number one. And that's she left because she wanted to. She's a grown up. She can do whatever she wants. Absolutely. I was going to say that's something that we have heard time and time again. She disappeared herself, right? The first theory was that Sneha decided to leave and escape her life that seemed to be falling apart. During the search for Sneha, it was discovered that she was having some real issues with her career as a doctor. Sneha had been a resident at Cabrini Medical Center in Manhattan, but they had decided not to renew her contract. So in other words, she was let go. They noted their reasons for termination as tardiness and alcohol-related issues. After she was fired, Sneha and some other interns went off to, like, blow off steam at at a bar, and the night did not go as well as they had hoped. At some point, Sneha reported that one of the other interns groped her, but the police didn't believe her, and instead they arrested her and put her in jail for the night for filing a false report. Hmm. How do they know off the bat... (laughs) Right. Like, investigate a little bit, but like, that. okay. And this was, again, we say this, I mean, I don't know. I think to keep it in perspective, it's like this was 2001. Right. Things, times were different. The Me Too movement had not started yet. Right. It should not have been this way. No. But it was not uncommon or unheard of for somebody to be like, oh, she's making shit up, you know? I know. And it's sad, like, how... Much um, it does still happen. Yep. How far we've come yet, we have so much further to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she was charged with third degree falsely reporting of an incident and prosecutors offered to drop her charges if she recanted, but Sneha refused and stuck with her story, which to me says she was telling the truth. Exactly. That's what That's what I don't understand. Like they did their like little bit of investigating and decided that she was making it up for whatever reason. But... If they're offering to drop the charges, if she just says, no, it didn't happen. And she says, absolutely not. I'm not saying that. Right. Because if it didn't happen, you would think like, okay, I fucked up. I said something I shouldn't have said, but at least this gives me the opportunity to not have to like go to a trial or go to jail or whatever, Mm -hmm. lose my, lose my job, like all of these other repercussions. But she says, no, fuck that. I'm not taking that. Yeah. Yeah, that to me says it happened. Yeah, it's exactly the same kind of thing when people are wrongfully convicted and they're like, look, we'll give you a plea deal if you just plead guilty. And they're like, no. Right. I didn't do it. I'm not pleading guilty. Right. And they're like, okay, well, you're probably going to be in prison for life. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't do it. I know. And even when they come up for parole, they can't get out on parole because they haven't shown remorse or taken responsibility for the thing that they didn't do in the first place. (sighs) God. Perfect. Great. I was hoping that would be the rule. Exactly. So Sneha got a new position at St. Vincent's, but because of her previous issues, they had put down strict rules for her. So one of the rules included that she had to see a substance abuse counselor, which she did not do. Because She did a couple times, but then I think she started missing. Yeah, and she wasn't consistent with her going. So, and that's the thing though. I mean, that's, that's, those were part of the rules. You have to do it regularly and she didn't. Right. Because she failed to meet with the counselor regularly, Sneha was suspended, and that is actually why she was off on September 10th, the same day that her appointment 
uh, or excuse me, that same day, her appointment that morning had been a court date in regards to the false claim. Sneha and Ron's marriage was also under the microscope and revealed that Sneha frequented lesbian bars and spent numerous nights with women she left with. Ron and her family believed that these were innocent nights because Sneha liked to have a good time and made friends with people quickly. They claimed that she was a little gun shy after the groping incident and preferred lesbian bars so men wouldn't hit on her. So this theory included that Sneha was actually a lesbian or at least bisexual and that along with all these other things, she was running away from the life she had for a life that she wanted. However, there was no indication that Sneha had made any attempts to prepare for leaving. She left all her important information and her glasses at an apartment uh, or at her apartment. And after an extensive forensic computer search, it was determined that she hadn't done any kind of research about leaving without a trace or living off the grid or different locations or anything else that would suggest that she was leaving. Sneha was incredibly close to her family as well. And her mom said that Sneha told her everything. Sneha's family is also adamant that Sneha didn't have substance abuse issues or that her career was in danger. They have stated they feel that she was a victim of persistent racial and sexual bias at Cabrini and that she was dismissed because she was a whistleblower and that was, she was whistleblowing the resident that had groped her. I have some questions because I feel like, and Tori and I were talking a little bit before we started recording and there's just so many unknowns with this case and so many like discrepancies and like, well, this person said that, but this person said that kind of thing. And so many things that's like, well, that's unclear. It's unclear. We're not sure. So like I read kind of in different places that, that either the, the groping incident that she reported happened the night that she was let go or it happened before that because she couldn't be let go because of that if it didn't happen till that night. Right. But I don't know. the So there's a little bit of, you might read it differently in different places as far as the timing goes. But then also Cabrini is the place that she was let go from. She's now at St. Vincent's and there's they are requiring her to complete some drug relate or um, excuse me, alcohol, substance abuse related counseling. Correct. So clearly either they looked into it at Cabrini and decided, okay, well, if this is a problem, we need to get it taken care of, or it's still, it still is a problem. Right. Yeah. Because the, because to me, if the new place is requiring her to do counseling, then they have confirmed on their end that there is an issue there. Mm-hmm. Or they're just getting that information from Cabrini and Cabrini is falsely giving that information to St. Vincent's because she was a whistleblower and they're trying to fuck her at every turn, basically. Yeah, but you would think if she didn't have a substance abuse problem and she had to do this or her job was on the line, that maybe you would just be like, all right, it's no big deal. I'll just see a counselor. Like, who cares, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'll just go to it. The other thing is, and I I don't think that there's anything wrong with going out and, you know, having a good time anytime you want to. But for somebody who's a resident, for a medical doctor, like, I mean, I used to work in the medical field. And when the doctors would talk about residency or we'd have a resident, you know, come in for something or whatever, like that's your life 24 seven. It's like you literally go home long enough to like change your clothes and eat a sandwich. And then you have to come back. A lot of them sleep at the hospital. You know, it's like residencies are pretty intense. I'm a little surprised 
that she has enough time to go out as often as she's going. And she's going out and staying out long enough and late enough that she's sleeping at other places, which appears to be a dynamic that she and her husband have agreed to. And that's totally fine. I don't care about that. But I'm just wondering, like, is that kind of supporting the maybe alcohol abuse thing? Because it would seem like, okay, if I'm going to be working at the hospital today, seeing people, patients coming in with problems, and I've got to be on my game so that I can complete my MD. Do you want to be hungover? Do you want to still be a little drunk? Like you want to be on your A game. You don't want to take any chances on that, I would think. Right. Well, and for her family to say, I can understand wanting to back her up 100% and saying, look, there's no substance abuse problems. But to say that her job wasn't in danger, that's not true at all. Yeah, it's not true. She's now been suspended and she was let go from her last residency. Now she's suspended. That's a pretty big deal Mm -hmm. because I would think if you get kicked out of multiple residencies, like, you know, St. Vincent's took her on and said, okay, do this training or do this counseling. But if she gets kicked out of that one, I mean, I would think it's very possible that another it'd be harder for her to get into the residency or she'd at least have to go out of state. Mm -hmm. And like, if you look at all those like doctor death kind of things, like Mm -hmm. um, Edward Cullen, I think, no, not Edward Cullen. It's somebody Cullen. Charles (laughs) Cullen. Edward Cullen's the Twilight guy. Um, I've never seen Twilight, but. He sporkles. (laughs) I think Charles Cullen, maybe he was uh, either a doctor or a nurse. I can't remember now, but he was um, one of those like. Definitely a vampire. 100% of vampire. Yeah. He's, I've never seen him in the daytime. Like those people, it's like they, and we saw it with, what was that woman that we covered? Oh my God. What is her name? Jean something? No, Janine. Janine. Oh no. Shit. I don't, I can't remember her name, but we covered her and she was a nurse and she went to multiple hospitals. Right. So it seemed like just to avoid a PR disaster, hospitals would, and maybe still do, just transfer these people to other hospitals and be like, okay, yeah, it's your problem the now. Pass the buck. Yeah. And I'll even give you a recommendation to go there. Mm-hmm. Just as long as you get the hell out of here. Exactly. So I feel like if Cabrini is giving, is like telling them about it, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's enough there documented to say that there probably was some alcohol abuse happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, crazy that it like you have to go that deep into the rabbit hole to just be like she probably did but there's just so many things in this case where it's like maybe she did maybe she did like we don't know as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Terrell, take us to theory number two. Oh man, here's the, here's the one. The star. The husband did it. So of course, I mean, if the investigators are actually investigating, they're going to consider Ron, right? Mm-hmm. Sneha is, according to them, frequenting lesbian bars. She's drinking. She's got her issues with her job. She's got nights where she's spending away from home. So all of those are thought to be reasons that Ron may have snapped. The morning of the 10th at the courthouse. Here's another thing that is so weird. Mm-hmm. Sneha and Ron were reportedly in a huge fight. So there are multiple witnesses that report that the couple was arguing about her substance abuse issues and her sexuality, but and police documented it. But Ron denies that it ever happened. See, and that's the thing with this case is that we have multiple people who have come forward who said, yeah, this this happened and this happened. And then, or we get reports from the family members even that say, Mm -hmm. hey, this happened. Well, then when asked about it, they're like, that absolutely never happened. Right. No, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just very strange. I mean, he, he completely denies this. And the police, from what I understand have statements from multiple witnesses corroborating this fight and what it was about. It was exactly what they were fighting about. Yeah, it was in public at the courthouse. So I don't know, but Ron says it didn't happen. So then her brother, John, remember who finally got his acting debut, originally had told police that about a month before Sneha disappeared, he had walked in on her and his girlfriend having sex, which might explain why they might be in a little bit of a fight. He's like, well, we're definitely in a fight now. (laughs) So, but he told police that. He gave that in a statement. But later, he says that he never said that. And not only did he never say that, he never has spoken to the detective that says that he said it, who documented this conversation. He says he's, I I don't know, or never seen her. Mm -hmm. Like, so ridiculous. I mean, which is it? It's one or the other, guys. Like, well, and- why, how would they have made this up? First of all, why would they have made this up? Yeah. And he denies ever having met this person. Yeah, reported it. Yeah. So it's like, where did it come from then? And I'm not saying that police don't fabricate evidence because- 100%. Would, oh, go ahead, because I'm trying to get ahead of you. Go ahead. No, yeah, like, uh, the, totally they do. But what's the motive here? I can't see them creating an entirely false police report about Mm-mm. a family personal issue that has nothing to do with anything. Right. Yeah, yeah. because whether or not Sneha was bisexual, was a lesbian, whatever, who cares? None of that matters. The only no. thing that, the only reason it would matter is if there are relationships outside the marriage, which would, and again, that doesn't matter, but what matters about that is our suspect pool needs to be widened. Right. That's the only thing that matters. The only way that I can understand the police creating something like this and fabricating it is if they were looking at John for as being the the murderer and they had a body and they're like, well, we need some, we need motive. Right. Because it seems like, because what they're doing is they're, like you said, why would they go to the trouble of like creating a police report and all this stuff? I feel like what's more likely if the police are going to fabricate evidence is be like, oh, hey, John stopped back in 
And he talked to me later, but I didn't write it down. I forgot to write a report for that, but this is what he said. I feel like it's more likely that they would be putting out information about a report that they never filed versus I actually went to the trouble to take these notes during the statement and put it into the record. Like, right. Yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. But Ron was a huge part of the search. He hired a private investigator. He even left the American Express card active in case Sneha used it. He was, by all accounts, incredibly distraught over this. And genuinely so. Again, you can never know if somebody is genuine, but I feel like him hiring a private investigator speaks volumes there because that private investigator could very well find out some shit about Ron that he wouldn't want anybody to find out. So why would you open yourself up to that? Mm-hmm. Here's another weird thing. Just really another weird thing. Ron was also questioned about a phone call and it was at 4 a.m. on 9-11. So Ron claimed he was the only person home. Remember, he got home at like midnight that night from work. And it's just him home. He's upset because Sneha's not there. But somebody called his cell phone from the landline at four o'clock in the morning. And according to him, he's asleep. And he says, well, I don't remember making that call, but maybe I'd been half asleep and I called to check my messages. Maybe. What happened? Like, it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. I, Dude, somebody in that house called your cell phone. You know, we'll call each other's phones if we can't find one. You know, it's mm-hmm. on vibrator. Like, you can't remember where you put it so that you can see where it is. So, you know, maybe, maybe he couldn't find his phone or something, but he doesn't say that. He just says, I, well, no, I was asleep. And then they ask him about the phone call and he's like, oh, maybe I called to check my messages. Again, there was nothing about him, though, that said, we think you're involved, nothing like that ever checked out. But it definitely is weird that like, well, who would have called your cell phone from the landline if you were asleep? Like, Mm. WTF, man. Or if you were actually at home, you know, like, I don't know. But he was cleared. I mean, because again, or also not again, I've not said this at all. Um, Also, If he did murder her, if he snapped and murdered her in the apartment that night, how is he going to hide that? Like, there's a bajillion people outside of his apartment now. There's no way. Unless he just stayed awake all morning and hid her somewhere before he went to work. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a really big stretch to think that he could have done that. In a, I mean, it can happen, right? Super busy yeah. cities. You can hide bodies all the time, I guess, but I just don't see it happening. Yeah. And there wasn't like, there's surveillance footage at their apartment complex. We don't see Ron coming and going at three in the morning, Mm-mm. you know, and we don't had- see him bringing a big duffel bag down or whatever. Right. And even though the World Trade Centers have collapsed, we actually still have video surveillance mm-hmm. of his apartment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Yeah. All right. Theory number three. Theory number three. She died in the attacks. Sneha's family is convinced that she died in the World Trade Center collapse and her name was originally on the list of victims. Since no one saw her after she left Century 21, her family is convinced that she did what she usually does and stayed out overnight and then came home while Ron was gone to work. They firmly believe that Sneha was on the security footage and that when she left abruptly, it was to render aid at the World Trade Center. At the Century 21 store, a clerk said that she saw Sneha 
shopping with another woman who has never been located or identified and isn't on the security footage. Then they were not shopping together, (laughs) right? We have all the security footage of Sneha shopping. You see her going, you know, she's at a rack. She's looking at stuff. There's never, you see, I mean, they've got her coming and going from the store. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's with her. Didn't happen. There's just nobody with her. Like, Mm -mm. (laughs) you are mistaken, clerk. (laughs) You saw somebody else shopping with another person or something, but you didn't see her. Right. That's not, it didn't happen. Well, and all it does, again, is just like it wastes. Yeah. Resources and you're wasting people's time. Yeah. On the security footage from the store, Sneha's seen shopping in her brown short sleeve dress with buttons down the front, uh, wearing jewelry that she frequently wore. A black and gold beaded necklace with a cross pendant, her solitaire gold engagement ring, and gold wedding band with small inset diamonds. And she was wearing flower-shaped diamond stud earrings. It was noted in one source that gold turns into ash in a few hours when burned at 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And the Twin Towers burned at over 2,000 degrees for much longer than that, so there wouldn't be anything left other than the diamonds. Sneha's mom is convinced that they will get a call that they have been able to identify Sneha's jewelry in the thousands of pieces still unidentified. The city property clerk stated that they recovered 1,350 pieces of jewelry and only about a third of those, which would be 450 pieces, have been returned to the families of victims. Sneha's mom, Ansu, said that they are hopeful because that after they sent pictures of Sneha's jewelry, they got a letter that there was a chance that they might still identify Sneha's jewelry. But a reporter with New York Magazine contacted the property clerk who said, quote, if you sent in a letter about a plain piece of jewelry, a Timex watch, if there was one of them, we sent you back a letter that said there was a possibility. We had no idea if there could even be a match, but everybody got those letters, end quote. Well, way to uh, just shoot down everybody's hope, property clerk why in New would, York Magazine. Right. But why would you, why would you say that? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I was thinking like, I mean, there is a chance. So you're well, telling me exactly. there's a chance. Like, like, I feel like that's kind of, it's insensitive and it's also kind of rude for Yeah, to just blanket send everybody like, fuck it. We'll just tell them we might find it too. Yeah. And then afterwards, if somebody's like, they might find something, they're like, we'll manage your expectations. Yeah. I mean, and I get, they've got, they have a lot of letters coming in and I'm sure, but, you know, maybe just, uh, we will do absolutely everything that we can. Yeah. To try to find this. Exactly. Like, yeah. So in 2003, Ron filed a petition with the New York County Surrogates Court in order to have Sneha declared an official victim of the 9-11 attacks. And around the same time, he also filed a claim with the Victim Compensation Fund in order to get financial compensation for the money Sneha would have earned. This money would have been calculated based on the victim's age and potential earnings. Sneha was 31 and a doctor. Ron could have gotten between 3 to $4 million. However, in January of 2004, Sneha's name was removed from the list of victims, stating that there was no evidence she was still alive on 9-11, let alone at Ground Zero. On June 29, 2006, the surrogate court judge presiding over the case, Renee Roth, ruled that Sneha wasn't proven to be a victim of the 9-11 attacks and that her official date of death would be listed as September 10, 2004. New York law states that a person can be declared dead three years after they are reported missing. The state law to establish that a person died in the 9-11 attacks states that there must be, quote, clear and convincing evidence of the person's exposure to the attack, end quote. 
The judges that overturned the ruling stated that this standard does not require an absolute certainty. It merely requires that the evidence make the conclusion highly probable. But because this standard is vague, the law is not applied evenly. So because Sneha's death certificate wouldn't officially say 9-11-2001, the victim's compensation refund rejected Ron's claim. Her family fought this, and on July 31st, 2008, a panel of judges voted 4-1 to to overturn Judge Roth's ruling and officially named Sneha as a victim of the 9-11 attacks, making her the 2,750th victim, and her name was placed on the National 9-11 Memorial on the South Pool. Her official cause of death was listed as blunt trauma. Mm. So, however, the victim compensation fund was closed in 2003, so Ron would never receive any money. Ron and Sneha's family said that they don't care about the money, but they want recognition that Sneha was a victim of the attacks. They feel that it gives them closure to Sneha to have been killed on 9-11 because otherwise they don't have an answer. Ansu says, I don't have even a grain of hope that she's still alive or that anything else happened to her. It's more peaceful for me to think that she died in the World Trade Center than... I cannot bear to think that someone else killed her. I also listened to an episode of Trace Evidence I on did this too. case. Did you? Okay. It was it it's Stephen Pacheco, I, I think is his name. I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. He's thorough AF, you guys. Yeah. And he's got a good reading voice. He really does. So he said that during that, remember Sneha was on instant messenger with her mom for two hours that the day before that. She said that she had a friend that was getting ready to get married and they were going to get married. It's called like the Windows of the World. And it's it, at the World Trade it's Center? A bar on, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very, very high up, like on the hundred something floor oh, of the God, World Trade scary. Center. And she wanted to check it out. Yeah. Like she was like, OK, my friend is getting married there. I'm going to go check it out for her. And she had said that she had planned on doing it. Well, it's not clear when she planned on doing it. Again, it's not clear. But she, she talked said, about that day, so it could have been that day. Or maybe, right. excuse me, the next day. Right. Yeah, she talked about it that day. But she also had all those errands and other stuff to run that day. So, you know, it was like toward the end of the day. So maybe she was going to go check it out the next morning. I mean, it's incredibly possible. So there's a couple of other, like, you know, when they talk about the ruling, that it's like, there just has to be like a probable, you know, evidence that she would have been there. We have her talking about it, but we also have her only living two blocks away. Mm-hmm. The likelihood that she was in that area and either was at the site to visit this restaurant, which she said she was going to go visit, or that she went and because she heard all the ruckus and was like, let me go help people, you know, I think it's probable. I feel like that all lends Mm -hmm. to that. So we're 20 years later from 9-11, you guys. And if that doesn't make you feel old, then I don't know. It makes me feel old. It makes me feel very old. Yeah. And I'm the really only, sorry to do that to you. Well, the only solace that I have is knowing that you're always going to be older than me. That's true. Yeah. I got nothing. I'm over here just hopeless as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but part of Ansu's hopefulness is encouraged by the fact that a little, only a little over 1,600 of the almost 3,000 people that died in the attacks have been positively identified through DNA. To most survivors and families, that statistic is troubling, but it's a ray of hope for the Phillips because that means there's still a chance that she'll be found. The medical examiner and other agencies are still working to identify all the remains from the rubble. So as of September 11th, 2012, 
2,753 death certificates had been filed, but only 1,588 remains had been identified. And over the years, you know, there have been some identified from time to time, but it's been a very slow and painstaking process. In October 2019, three more victims were identified, bringing the total number of identified to 1645. So we've still got about 40% unidentified, unfortunately. Most of the deaths were from the World Trade Center buildings and then on the ground, not including the 147 victims from the two planes and 10 terrorists. The Pentagon accounted for 184 victims and five terrorists on Flight 93. There were 39 innocent passengers and four hijackers, and the World Trade Center buildings accounts for 2,600 deaths. Most of the deaths were from the North Tower's top floors. One of the men in the North Tower, John P. O'Neill, was a former assistant director from the FBI and assisted in capturing Ramzi Youssef, who had bombed the World Trade Center in 1993. So he'd become the head of security for the World Trade Center, and he died that day trying to rescue people from the building. Even after September 11th, the death toll continued to climb as people who worked in the rubble developed cancer. In 2018, it was reported that at least 15 FBI agents, 10,000 first responders, and people working at Ground Zero, one out of every eight firefighters that worked at Ground Zero, developed cancer and many have died. Oh my God. That statistic, that is terrifying. It's terrifying. It is. That's... Yeah, it's staggering. I Mm -hmm. I did not realize that. I knew that there were a lot of people that had developed cancer after I did not realize it was that. I mean, oh my gosh. Sneha and Philip is just one story in almost 3,000, but all the stories from that day are now a part of our history books as the deadliest terrorist attack on American soil in U.S. history. Mm. Awful. Yeah. So, of course, we want to hear what you guys think because. Yeah. You could go either way on this. I mean, there's so much unknown. Yeah. Of course, no matter what the stance that we take or that anybody else takes, our heart goes out to the Phillips family. I can't imagine not just not knowing. I can't blame them for just full 100% believing that she was lost in the attacks. But it would be really interesting if we could know more because there's so many unknowns. Yeah. There's just so many things that's like, but we don't know that for sure. But we don't know that for sure. And with the discrepancies with police reports and things like that, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And from what, like, if you guys want like a really thorough podcast on this case, that's a serious one, then go listen to that trace evidence. It was really good. It was. But he said in there that the police during their investigation concluded that she was probably having relationships outside of the marriage, including lesbian ones. Like, oh God, but get away from her. I know, like, ooh, whatever. But he also said that they didn't really have any direct evidence of that either. It was just like, they just decided, it sounded like that it was just like, well, she frequents these kind of bars. I mean, I've been to gay bars. Like, they're fun. They are fun. And I can understand if she was feeling yeah, really weirded out about the sexual assault. Mm-hmm. That's a good place to go because I've always felt so safe when I go to like play or whatever. Well, that's the thing though. I shared a meme that was saying if you've never been it's something I'm paraphrasing, but if you've if you've never been 
sexually assaulted or if you've never been touched inappropriately by a lesbian, then maybe the problem is not women, it's men. You know what I mean? Like, mm, mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, not, because that's, I've that's never, yeah, I've never walked but. in and been like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, lesbians are going to be all over me. Yeah, like, not doesn't happen. <laughs> some people happen. can respect consent and maybe yeah, exactly. that's, yeah. Yeah. What's the common denominator here, guys? Yeah, exactly. Mm, so, yeah. But it would be really interesting to hear what you guys think, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So but let us know. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my God, you guys. We have some more patrons to thank. Woo! 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 So let's give a big hey girl thanks to Leanne. And Leanne, your daughter was very, very kind and she wanted to give her shout out to you. Oh. So sweet. Motherly love. Mm-hmm. Christy Hallowell. Martina Hamilton. Bailey Lurch. Elisa D. Better. Alexia Breedlove, Andy Spencer, Kylie Klein, Brenda Burns, Olivia Matson, Jen Reinhardt, Mary Riley, Amber Webster, Ashley Ward, Selena Higgins, Taylor Rose, Rachel Mahar, Amanda, Isabella Lospisa, Anaida Torres, Tracy Glasgow, Shawnee Knight, Sarah Biche, Fallon Rogers, Christina Bowman Sanders, Casey Canfield, Morgan Milhas, Isabella Wiseman, Tiffany Gregg, Ali Iacona, Stephanie Potter, Delaney Horsey, Alexandra Dickey, Megan Graham, Tiffany Countess, Marie, Lorna Morgan, Samantha, Julie Richmond, and Charlotte Dawson. Yay, thank you guys so much. We love you. Yay. Yay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.